Hi, and welcome to the Part 3 with me podcast. The show that helps Part 3 students jumpstart into their careers as qualified architects and also to provide refresher episodes for practicing architects. I am your host, Maria Scudari. And this week, we will be talking about the RIBA Sustainable Outcomes. Uh, This also meets PC2 of the Part 3 criteria, which is for clients, users and delivery of services. I thought this would be a useful topic to cover uh, and to expand on, because um, since we will be moving to more sustainable targets um, now and in the future, uh, I thought that the Part 3 exam or some of your coursework might be centred around this. Um, So I thought this might be a useful topic to cover. So diving into today's episode. So when and why were these outcomes put together? So the RIBA first published the RIBA 2030 climate change in 2019 to help address the global declaration of an environmental and climate emergency alongside the UK government's plans to bring greenhouse gas emissions to net zero by 2050. So the new sustainability outcomes guide, which we will be talking about today, was produced to provide architects with the tools to lead in sustainable outcomes. So the sustainable outcomes guide, uh, therefore, was developed to fulfill the RABS commitment to the UN global impact and the 17 UN sustainability development goals. So the guide defines a set of sustainable outcomes and associated metrics to key UN sustainability development goals and its aim is to clarify the targets for a sustainable future. Now there are quite a few um, formulas for each of these uh, outcomes which I won't be covering today um, but I'm sure if you if you are in a practice that gives you the tools to use these formulas then you probably already know how to use them or I'm sure you will learn how to use them in the future. So let's briefly look at the RIBA 2030 Climate Challenge before we look closer into the sustainability outcomes. So the challenge focuses on three environmental sustainability outcomes that all new or refurbished buildings contribute to, which is energy use, embodied carbon and water use, with an overall aim to target net zero whole life carbon emissions by 2030 at the latest. So the RIBA 2030 Climate Challenge has set targets to reducing operational energy demand and carbon by at least 75% before offsetting, reducing embodied carbon by 50 to 70% before offset renewables offsetting, uh, reducing portable water use by 40% and achieve all core health targets. Now, next, moving on to the RIBA Sustainable Outcomes. Uh, How do they relate to the UN Sustainable Development Goals? Uh, So the RIBA has developed eight sustainable outcomes based on the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So not all uh, UN SDGs are covered because many of them apply to the US's government policy and beyond individual built projects. So the RIBA has narrowed these down into eight uh, outcomes uh, which are relevant to the UK, which are good health and well-being, sustainable water cycle, 
uh, net zero operational carbon emissions, sustainable life cycle cost, sustainable connectivity and transport, sustainable communities and social value, net zero embodied carbon emissions, and sustainable land use and ecology. Now let's look at each outcome independently. Uh, let's start with net zero operational carbon emissions. So starting with the metrics, what defines the net zero operations carbon emissions? Uh, this is essentially the carbon dioxide produced as a result of the production and use of energy from fossil fuels from day-to-day -day operation of the building or structure. So the target is to tackle absolute carbon emissions from UK building stock. So there are four key steps in the reduction of operational energy and carbon within a building. First is uh, passive first, using form, fabric and landscape to optimise ambient lighting, heating, uh, cooling and ventilation. The second is fine-tune with gentle engineering, so use of efficient and well-integrated mechanical and electrical systems and user-friendly controls, for example, ventilation systems, heating, cooling, uh, lighting and so on. Uh, the third one is incorporate on-site renewables, so use low and zero carbon technologies to minimise energy purchases and carbon emissions, for example, use of solar panels for hot water, um, or PVs, ground water or air source heat pumps. And fourth is to make the building and its systems usable and manageable. So avoid designing buildings that prove to be too complicated to look after. Then we have the key design principles for this outcome, which cover prioritizing retrofit of existing buildings, prioritizing fabric first principles for building form and envelope, fine-tune internal environment with efficient mechanical systems. Then it's provide responsive local controls. Uh, make sure to specify ultra-low energy appliances uh, and ultra-low energy IT. Prioritize maximum use of on-site renewables appropriate to the context. Uh, demonstrate additionality of off-site renewables and offset remaining carbon through a recognized scheme. Moving on to the next outcome, which is net zero embodied carbon. So starting with the metrics, what defines the net zero embodied carbon? Uh, this is the carbon dioxide produced from the energy used in the extraction, fabrication, and transportation from place of origin of materials used in the construction. So the target for this is to achieve net zero embodied carbon emissions for new buildings, including offsetting. So this target also implies a zero construction waste. This one has 11 key design principles, which cover prioritizing building reuse, carry out whole life carbon analysis of all building elements, prioritize ethical and responsible sourcing of all materials, prioritize low embodied carbon and healthy materials, minimize materials with high embodied energy impacts, target zero construction waste diverting to landfill, promote use of local natural materials, consider modular off-site construction systems, then consider detailing to be long life and robust, design the buildings for disassembly and circular economy, and offset remaining carbon emissions through recognized schemes. Then moving on to the next outcome, which is sustainable water. Uh, 
so what defines sustainable water is the amount of mains water used in the operation of the building, including the offset by use of grey water or recycled water to reduce mains water consumption. So embodied carbon assessments provide a better understanding of the sourcing and processing of material and products and also help quantify the carbon impacts of uh, procurement choices, uh, construction methods, waste mitigation and disposal and circular economy considerations. So this outcome promotes a decentralised building level approach to alleviate the pressure on national water supply and the drainage infrastructure. So the aim is to significantly reduce portable water uh, used to a locally sustainable level, which will vary dramatically between regions and watershed zones. This is principally achieved by first reducing water usage by behaviour, low water appliances and better leak detection. There, are, there is also a need for greater use of recycled rainwater and wastewater, which in turn reduces portable water use for non-drinking purposes. So the principal target is to reduce portable water use by 60% to more sustainable levels. So the UK target is to be below 60 litres per person per day for domestic buildings and 60 litres um, per day for non-domestic buildings. Uh, for this outcome, there are six key principles which cover providing low flow fittings and appliances, providing waterless appliances where possible, uh, provide leak detection, provide rainwater recycling and attenuation, and consider grey water recycling, provide on-site reed bed black water cleansing and recycling if practicable, and create sustainable urban drainage that supports natural aquatic uh, habitats, uh, also known as SUDS, which I'm sure a lot of you have already heard of. Uh, moving on to the next outcome, which is sustainable connectivity in transport. Uh, so starting with the metrics, uh, what defines sustainable connectivity in transport uh, is that the purpose of this outcome is to measure the resultant carbon impact of travel from sites or buildings to a local transport hub or local retail and community facilities. So the aim is to reduce carbon emissions associated with transport, uh, which will also in return reduce the need for travel in the first instance. So this outcome promotes a greater digital and physical connectivity with our villages, towns uh, in our cities, which in turn will significantly reduce the need to travel uh, and reduce the length of travel time. The target is to achieve net zero carbon emissions for transport by 2050. Uh, to support this target, this outcome promotes the need to measure, manage and reduce the, um, the amount of emissions per person per year of the occupants to the net zero target. So for this outcome, we have eight key design principles which cover creating comprehensive green transport plans, including digital connectivity, prioritize high quality digital connectivity to avoid the need for unnecessary travel, uh, which means basically having more meetings online as we currently are already, um, prioritize site selection with good proximity to public transport, uh, provide a high quality pedestrian and cycle links to local amenities, to make it easier for people to travel locally, 
provide end of journey provision for active travel runners and cyclists, for example, showers, lockers and so on. Provide infrastructure for electric vehicles as a priority, provide car sharing spaces and provide suitable on-site personal storage. Uh, moving on to the next outcome, which is sustainable land use and ecology. Uh, so starting with the metrics, what defines um, sustainable land use and ecology is that its purpose is to use a measure of actions to maintain, protect and improve the flora and fauna on a site. Uh, this outcome aims to avoid development on sensitive and ecologically rich landscapes and to make the best use of previously inhabited sites for development. So increasing biodiversity and the urban greening factor can also address the urban heat island effect of cities, uh, as outlined in the London plan. So the key targets of this outcome are to significantly enhance the local flora and fauna post-development compared to pre-development. So for developments to have more greenery and more biodiversity post-completion and to create an urban greening factor of 0.3 for non-domestic and 0.4 for residential developments. So for this outcome, there are 10 key design principles which cover leaving a site in better regenerative ecological condition than before, prioritize building and site reuse, prioritize brownfield site selection, uh, carry out sustainable remediation of site pollution, retain existing natural features, uh, aim to create mixed-use development with density appropriate to the local context, create a range of green spaces, for example, green roofs, vertical greening, pocket parks, green corridors, and so on, uh, create habitats that enhance biodiversity, create productive landscapes for urban food production, and zero local pollution from the development should be the aim. Uh, moving on to the next outcome, which is good health and well-being. Uh, this outcome includes key variables of internal occupant health and well-being that includes uh, air quality, daylight, overheating, acoustic comfort, responsive controls and physical contact to the outside. So the target for this outcome is to successfully deliver all core building related metrics. So there have been six killer variables identified uh, as being significantly impacting user satisfaction. So these are density, comfort, uh, responsiveness to need, uh, the ventilation type that is too stuffy, uh, work groups and their layout in the space plan that is not very well planned uh, internally, and design intent and how this is communicated to users and occupants. So the users might not be using the building as intended for. So it should be made clear uh, at handover what the processes are and how the building should be used. So the, the key principles for this outcome uh, cover providing spaces with strong visual connection to the outside, which will also um, meet the, the six issues um, identified earlier. Uh, also to provide responsive local controls, for example, opening windows or local control of HVAC systems, uh, designing spaces with appropriate occupant density for activity, uh, design spaces with good indoor air quality, 
design spaces with good indoor daylighting, lighting and glare control, uh, design spaces with um, adaptive thermal comfort standards, uh, design spaces with good acoustic comfort, uh, spaces that are inclusive and universal, universally accessible, uh, prioritize active circulation routes, for example, stairs, cycling provisions and walking routes, and provide indoor and outdoor planted spaces. Now, next, moving on to uh, sustainable communities and social value. Uh, so this outcome, uh, the purpose of it is to measure the positive impacts of good placemaking on a local community. So this is why the social value toolkit for architecture has been developed to demonstrate and evaluate the impact of design on people and communities. So these can be considered as social value benefits in policy and procurement. So it takes the form of a library of POE questions developed out of well-being research and consultations. So the high-level outcomes for the SVT are freedom, connecting, active lifestyles and positive emotions. So in turn, the target for this outcome is to test the SVT to better inform and reinforce the processing of improving communities. So the key design uh, principles for this outcome uh, cover prioritizing placemaking that expresses identity and territory, creating secure places for privacy, creating places for social interaction, uh, creating vibrant mixed-use places, providing high-quality permeable links to social amenities, providing high-quality pedestrian public realm, uh, creating inclusive places for community interaction, and creating secure places with overlooking views. Uh, and the final outcome of the RIBA sustainable outcomes is the sustainable life cycle costs. So this outcome is focused on economic sustainability and to use the government soft landings requirement for measuring uh, operational costs of um, buildings. So this outcome seeks to design for use and align CAPEX and OPEX budgets, which in turn unlocks whole life value over the life of the building. So the target for this outcome is to measure and benchmark the operational running costs of a building in use as per pounds per square meter using the ICMS life cycle method of measurement and compare these to the return on investment value created by the project, including rental value, building value and social value as described in the previous section. So there are seven key principles for this outcome which cover uh, carrying out whole life cycle analysis of key building systems, carrying out uh, soft landings or RIBA plan for use processes, measuring energy costs, measuring management and maintenance costs, uh, measuring overall running costs, uh, measuring added value of occupant health and well-being, and measuring uh, added value of sustainable outcomes of the building. So to sum up what I discussed today, the new Sustainable Outcomes Guide was produced to provide architects with the tools to lead in sustainable outcomes by the RIBA. The guide was developed to fulfill the RIBA's commitment to the UN Global Compact and the 17 UN Sustainability Development Goals. So the guide defines a set of sustainable outcomes and associated metrics to key UN Sustainability Development Goals, and its aim is to clarify the target for a sustainable future. 
So the eight RIBA sustainable outcomes are good health and well-being. Uh, this outcome includes key variables of internal occupant health and well-being. That includes air quality, daylight, overheating, acoustic comfort, responsive controls, and physical contact to the outside. The next one is sustainable water cycle. This outcome promotes a decentralized building level approach to alleviate the pressure on national water supply and drainage infrastructure. The third one is net zero operational carbon emissions um, and the key steps in the reduction of operational energy and carbon within a building is to focus on passive first, fine tune, incorporate on-site renewables and make the building and its systems usable and manageable. Uh, the next outcome is sustainable life cycle cost. This outcome is focused on economic sustainability and to use the government soft landings requirement for measuring operational costs of buildings. Uh, the next outcome is sustainable connectivity and transport. The purpose of this outcome is to measure the resultant carbon impact of travel from sites or buildings to a local transport hub or local retail and community facilities. The next outcome is sustainable communities and social value. And the purpose of this outcome is to measure the positive impacts of good placemaking on a local community. Uh, last but not least, net zero embodied carbon emissions. And the purpose of this outcome is to achieve net zero embodied carbon emissions for new buildings, including offsetting. And this target also implies zero construction waste. And lastly, we have sustainable land use and ecology. The purpose of this outcome should be used as a measure of actions to maintain, protect and improve the flora and fauna on site. Uh, and that concludes today's episode. Uh, please join me next week where I will start covering procurement and contracts. If you would like to get in contact with me, please feel free to email me on the address provided in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. This is an educational show aimed at supporting the future generation of architects. The information, opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. Please join me next week for some more part three with me time.